I'm Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Tyler. And welcome to Acting Out. Um, today, we decided that this week we wanted to talk to you guys about burnout in ABA. We talked about that a little bit last week in our previous episode about the pandemic, but we both thought that because burnout is such a prevalent thing in ABA, it deserved its own topic. Um, before we get started, though, I wanted to check in and see how your week is. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing very well. Um, speaking of burnout, I am burnt out uh, with BDS modules for grad school, but we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode. Uh, but I've had a good week so far, so it's it's Saturday, so. It is Saturday. Are you learning anything fun? Not necessarily from your modules, but just, you know, from grad school? <laughs> um, I've learned everything I think I'm going to learn at this point through grad school. Uh yeah, so anything else that's going to be fun is going to be through my supervisors with, like, assessments, so. Oh, yeah, because you're super, you're getting into those. Yes. What, okay, can I ask, like, what assessment that you want to learn more about? What's, like, the first one? VBMAT. Oh, yeah. I so, haven't done anything with VBMAT, personally. I um, probably should, but I haven't. Uh, very... I'm, I'm used to Ables and Peak. Uh, we, we dabbled a little bit in VBMAP in school, but it was not enough for me to like get a grasp grasp of. So uh, yes, hopefully I can grab a client that has VBMAP that is going to be used. Are you ready to get into it? Uh, first, how was your week? Oh, um, my week was chaotic. Because cancellations in life and there's like still a pandemic. So that's been really exciting in a not awesome way. Um, it was fine. It's not really that interesting. Not bad. I would really take boring. I'm really satisfied with boring right now. Chaotic and boring is good for me. Mm-mm, not for me. Not for you? No. I can't stand to be bored. No, when I say boring, I just mean like nobody is sick. Nobody's having a crisis. And um, nobody needs anything from me after like 6 p.m. That's to me, that's boring. And that's okay. Like, that's what I want. That's like calm versus chaos. Okay. Um, I haven't reached that point in this profession yet. So <laughs> I'm okay. You, um, <laughs> you don't reach that point for a while and it doesn't last. So you just like accept it. Like, you have like a chill week and you're just like, this is beautiful. And then you have like three weeks of four crises and you're like, okay, well, this is what I went to school for. Well, hey, so (laughs) let's get into some burnout because I'm pretty sure that leads into some burnout. No, it it definitely does. Um, Okay. So what I, we talked about it and what I really want to do is talk about what burnout is and like operationally define that. So I have heard about this, but I know, Tyler, if you had yet, have you heard of the Maslach Burnout Inventory? I have not. So for anyone listening who's not familiar with it, the Maslach Burnout Inventory is the most commonly used measurement for burnout. Um, It was designed by Dr. Christina Maslach, and it was published in 1981. It measures burnout on three levels, and it has really great operational definitions for each. Um, I was a little bit concerned that we might need to overly explain, but it does a great job. 
So the first um, measurement is emotional exhaustion, which was defined as feeling emotionally overextended by one's occupation or so basically by your job. Um, the second is depersonalization, which is feeling impersonal towards those receiving one's services or care. And finally, the third is your sense of personal accomplishment. The um, MBI defines that as feeling successful in one's occupation. So Tyler, those, um, you know, that's like the definition. That's kind of what the overarching scale or idea of what burnout is basically is. So have, do you feel like you've ever had any experience with burnout? I most definitely have experienced burnout. Currently, it's uh, in grad school with the BDS modules. So, um, but yes, definitely I've experienced uh, emotional exhaustion for sure. I've never really had dispersonalization and then personal accomplishment. I've never experienced, I mean, I've experienced personal accomplishment, but <laughs> according to the MBI, not as in burnout. So. Okay. That's, that's good. So you kind of hit like more of the emotional exhaustion aspect yes. of it than the depersonalization or feeling like because when I look at what it says with personal accomplishment for me that's like the concept of like not feeling good enough exactly so and and you know you're good enough like you're not worried about that right so because I know when I leave a client's <laughs> house I'm gonna toot my own horn there toot toot um <laughs> when I leave a client's house I know that I've done all that I can do and I feel like that they are getting the best experience out of my sessions um, and then dispersonalizations. I mean, I always feel like I'm personal with the parents. I don't feel like we have like a disattachment. Um, but so. what about with the kids? Cause I mean, it's not just about the parents. It's also about, I, I say kids only because you primarily work with children. So correct. do you feel, do you ever feel like a sense of like, I hate to say it like this, but do you ever feel like a sense of like lack, not lack of caring, but removal? Because that's what I think of when I think of depersonalization is like being removed from the the person that you're working with. Like, do you feel that at all? I don't. Um, so I always start off with like a 10 minute pairing section, uh, pairing session. Yeah, that's good. And then I end um, in a 10 minute pairing, pairing session. So I feel like I've never experienced that with any of my clients or kiddos. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, when it comes to emotional exhaustion, because you are saying like, that's something that you do experience. What about what's going on in the land of ABA, whether that's at work as an RBT, or if that is as a supervisee, or if that is as a grad student or as all three, like which aspects are you feeling the burnout when the emotional exhaustion? Most definitely grad school at this point. Um, just because recently started my capstone um, and I have to do the BDS modules for capstone uh, eight hours a week uh, so definitely experience, experiencing the burnout with that um, as an RBT not as a graduate RBT but just like when I first started ABA I definitely felt the burnout um, just for the fact that there are some things that an RBT just like you know, just got certified. There are certain things that you should not do. Um, and that's, okay. and that's where I, bur I, I burnt out easily. Um, but when you take on that role as a graduate RBT, you get those, you get those opportunities and you learn how to handle it better. 
if you understand what I'm saying. So. No, for sure. Yeah, because it comes with experience. Right. And learning, like, what you have to do to, I don't want to say survive, but in some ways it does feel like survival. Like, what you have to do to be able to turn your brain off at the end of the day. Because, you know, there are some problems that are going to continue. Behavior... Behavior and behavior change isn't magical, even though it feels like magic sometimes. So you can't change everything all at once, and you have to prioritize. And sometimes the things you have to prioritize, you're like, there's four fires. How do I put out the most dangerous fire? Okay, we put out the most dangerous fire. So let's worry about the next fire and that kind of thing. But actually, one thing I want to go back to is you said that whenever you first started, um, that you experienced burnout when you were an RBT who was not in graduate school. So tell me a little bit about wh- what that felt like. What because you emphasized that like you felt like there were things that you were needing that they that was needed of you um in a role that you felt like you could not accomplish. So tell me more about like what that was and maybe what it would have been like to have something different. So when and when I say to have something different, I mean what support did you need that you didn't get? This is a very touchy subject. Um, so when I first started as an RBT, it was 2018. Um, the company I was working for, they expected expected you to update treatment plans. And I understand like that is a, a part of the job. Um, but I don't believe that task is specifically made just for a a brand new RBT or an RBT that's not in grad school. Um, so you have your, some people call them graduate interns. Some people call them, um, behavior analyst. Uh, what is the word? Apprentice. Um, but this was not a part of my job description is to update treatment plans, uh, especially as an RBT. And that's where I felt burnt out. So for clarification, like when you say updating treatment plans, what, you know, that might look different at every company or with every other person. So the when, so when you say update treatment plans, what all did that entail for you in that role? It was mostly <clears throat> to go into their treatment plan and mark off mastered goals and then okay. go in and pick another goal. It's like, I don't, that's not up for an RBT to decide. Um, Okay. That's just me. So, yeah, and I mean, you know, it's, it's, we're certainly not here to tell anyone else how to run anything, um, run anybody else how to run their business or how to do their things. We're just talking about your personal experience. So for you, what do you, what would you feel like would have been helpful? Because clearly that was something that really stressed you out. That was something that really you felt burdened you. It's the biggest, you know, we're talking about what was the thing that caused you the most burnout. That was the thing that caused you the most burnout, caused you the most emotional exhaustion. So what did you, what would you, y'all, my brain does not want to work at 11 a.m. on a Sunday, on a Saturday. What day is it? What time is it? I don't know anymore. It doesn't matter. But what the point of the conversation is, is Tyler, what would have helped you? What would have supported you in that period of time? Understanding supervisors, um, just for the fact that 
I'm new to the field. Like I've never updated a treatment plan. So, um, and then they, I think understanding when I say understanding supervisors, they need to understand that I have a, a life outside of being an RBT. So when I get off at say five o'clock, you know, from five till whenever I go to sleep, that's my time. Um, I understand there are certain situations where, you know, as a BCBA, you have to answer those after hours phone calls, which that is fine. But that was not my responsibility to do at the point at that point in time. So what I hear when you say that and Zach, feel free to chime in. But what I hear when you say that is it sounds like you needed more boundaries and you needed an environment for you to be able to keep from having burnout. You needed boundaries and you needed an environment that would allow you to have boundaries. Is that would you say that's fair? That is correct. Yes. Because I don't feel when I have boundaries, I'm completely okay. Like I don't experience burnout. Um, But answering an email at 11 o'clock at night and they expected you to. That is not that that just it burns me out. Like I need that time for myself. So I can be prepared for session the next morning. Like if I'm not mentally prepared for session the next morning, it's just not going to work out well with the clients or, you know, I'm not going to be upbeat or uh, well rested to handle some of the problematic behaviors that we experience. Well, I don't know much about being well rested in grad school, but I can see what you're saying in regards to everything else. Um, okay, so that kind of fleshes that out. So for you, you felt like if you had more understanding, better boundaries, and more autonomy in your time, in your work week, basically. Right. You feel like that would have really supported you in having less burnout. Yes, that is correct. Can I provide a counterpoint? Yeah, please go ahead. So, again, I, I wasn't there, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but, um, you know, think about this behaviorally for just a minute. You know, you were in a role that expected more of you than you felt was fair uh, as a new RBT, but also in general as an RBT not yet in graduate school. You know, uh, obviously, and the first and most important part here is that we've got an RBT ethics code that really wasn't, uh, I don't know if it was developed at that point yet, but it definitely, you know, people didn't follow any code of ethics for RBTs and the RBT guidelines are clear enough, but people, you know, in my opinion, abused RBTs back then. But uh, that being said, Tyler, you know, when you get an email at any time, it is perfectly reasonable for you to not respond to it. A, if it's, you know, bedtime, B, if it's if you're just not interested in working and C, if you don't want to reinforce that behavior. And the problem is that they expected you to do something immediately when they asked you to do it, which is the wrong way to approach employees in general. Just like if you want people to respect you as an employer, you respect them as employees and you respect their time outside of regular work hours, number one. But number two, you know, and I'm bad at this, too. I reinforce odd timed emails because I can't help it. You know, I don't have the luxury of saying, eh, it's not that important because generally speaking, everything's important that comes into my inbox. But in your case, you know, fundamentally 
you reinforced the behavior of expecting you to reply at that time, even if you perceived it, or even if they told you it was expected. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm victim blaming and I apologize for that. But I, but I, I just stand by the, the, the concept that like we reinforce our employer's behaviors um, because it's fear of negative reinforcement, right? Yeah, or, for and that's sure. not fear of it's 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 negatively reinforced behavior. It's they asked me to do something, I'm doing it so that they don't get mad at me that I didn't do it, right? Yeah. So that's the expectation part. I also think though that we have to consider, and I think it would only be fair to consider that there's also a power dynamic because, like you know, we were talking about. I I, I don't want to say abuse of power, but in some ways it can be because as behavior analysts, we have a lot of power over a lot of situations. You know, we have a lot of power over parents and kids and adults we work with and the people that we supervise and people that trust us with our opinions. Because when you tell people you're a behavior analyst, the first thing they're going to do is tell you about such and such as autism and they think that they need more of this and more of that and I've gotten my family's great about telling people what I do and then I get phone calls from their neighbors so but it, the point of what I'm saying though is that not standing up for yourself might be because not I feel like not everybody has the opportunity to walk away because sometimes this is the only job that you have like, this is the only opportunity that you have. You know, here where we work, I could get another behavior analyst job if I wanted to, probably in a couple of weeks. Not necessarily, but I probably could. And Tyler probably could. So, Definitely. You, There's no probably. Well, yeah, sure. but you don't, you're my boss. I'm not trying to sound like an asshole. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I, I could. <clears throat> no, but I mean, you're right. I mean, the field, like, there are areas in which the field is saturated enough that there's always an opening. Yeah, but that does, but that's not always the case for people in different areas. So I feel like we have to be also have to be cognizant of that in right. that discussion. And when you when you mention that, like you can't because of the area I did live in at the time. Um, so when I did look for another job, I did get a response where there's like, "Oh, you're working for one of the most prestigious facilities in the state of Tennessee," and there's like, "Well, why do you want to leave?" And, and then it like, almost looks bad on you because you exactly. don't want to be there because they've got such a great reputation. Woohoo! Exactly. So I, <clears throat> I declined that offer and I went somewhere else. So. And you met me. That's where I met you. And uh, Hi. when I worked with you, Elizabeth, previously, I didn't feel burned out at that, that facility. So. That's good. I did. Again, that that's Glad where you had a good time. <laughs> that's where we go into the different roles. Like you were a sal- salaried BCBA, and I was just an hourly RBT. Um, so you're saying the concept of salaried position implies that there's no limit to what they can ask you to do, I, pretty because much because they're paying you, right? Yes. In comparison, when you say hourly RBT, what is that implying? Like, I come in from 9 to 5 and I go home. That's it. Right. So the extent to which you're expected to do work outside of work is much lower than when you're a salaried position. And it's not necessarily the role of BCBA or RBT. It's just salaried position implies there's no end uh, of work. And hourly means there's end of work. Yes. 
the issue is that styles of management are um, are different across employers, and so some people expect a certain level of compliance with basic work requirements, and then some people expect your or, or expect their employees to go home and actually go home and stop working. And so, what you're the the point that you're uh, driving to and arriving at the stoplight is that work-life balance is really important to affect or rather reduce the effects of burnout because you can be burnt out during the day at work and come home and not feel burnt out and you can also be burnt out for a part of the day and then not their other part of the day and given that there are different levels and and measures of burnout going back to Maslow's um, uh, uh, burnout inventory you know because you can measure it in so many different ways like you the the idea that I or I, I don't know I'm rambling no you're not rambling I think it's I don't think you're rambling I think <laughs> what you're doing is you're forming your opinion out loud yes that is what I'm doing and that's okay that's a I mean that's a part of having a conversation I think that's verbal behavior but uh, okay, isn't it all verbal behavior? Well, yeah, of course. I think the point that I was trying to make uh, in my incoherent rambling just a moment ago was that you you come up with ways to thwart burnout, um, and some of that may be coming home and taking a nap after work, and then you say, "Well, I rested and I feel fine now, and now I know I have a couple things I need to do, so I'm going to do them," or coming home from work, taking a nap. And not doing any more work that day and just saying, I didn't feel like doing it today and I didn't need to and I didn't, you know, taking control over the work that needs to get done, um, uh, being responsible about things that you need to do as an employee at your job and then doing things that prevent you from feeling burnt out. One of our co-producers, Jessie, is here with us today. She's listening and we want to take this time to ask her about her burnout. So, Jesse, tell us who you are, tell our listeners what you do, and tell us about what your burnout. Where are you at in your life? Hi, my name is Jesse, and I work in a fast-paced environment in New York City. I feel burnt out on a daily basis. To meet the demands of my job, we are encouraged to work 80-hour weeks. It is normal that everybody is working and having dinner every night together in the office at our desks. The culture of the industry I work in, this is how it is at every company in this industry. We are understaffed, we are underpaid, and we are having mental breakdowns regularly. A lot of the turnover that we see in our company, on our teams, is due to the fact that the higher-ups don't see that this is what we're doing because they are speaking to the directors and the directors are telling them, oh, it's fine, our teams are fine. But if they did a little walkthrough at, let's say, 9 p.m., they'll see that everyone's still sitting at their desks working on what they started at 4 p.m. The projects were given on top of each other are too much for one person to do. And if you don't finish it by the time, let's say the day is over at 6 p.m., if you're not done by 6 p.m., you're sitting there until you are done. And it's up to you to figure out what is 
priority over the other. And if they're both super important, you have to finish them to meet your deadlines. I mean, I'll talk about my burnout later, but I, I understand as much as I can being in a different thing, how exhausting that would be in addition to being in grad school. The fact that you say high power in New York City, I think the, the people are whatever people are going to be aware of the fact that like that is the cultural expectation in that town it has a reputation for that that doesn't make it okay and that I don't mean that to diminish your experience at all well the thing is it's 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 expected that's just how it is i was moved to a i was moved to a smaller team so that i could have time to study and and you know get my mba and further my education um, but due to budget cuts and this and that, I was given more work from my switch. So now I'm doing just as much work as before and still working on my MBA. You know, I think what she's really highlighted here is, and you sort of went in this direction momentarily, Elizabeth, is that uh, it's not any one particular industry in New York City. It is very cultural that people work extremely long hours. One of my best friends works more hours than there are in a single day, you know, constantly working the moment you open you open your eyes till the moment you close them at night. And it is like that in so many industries. And, you know, I think that from a behavioral perspective, it is all for one thing, productivity, which is a behavior, well, a behavioral measure, right? Yeah. So we're looking at, several indicators of performance to say we were productive on this particular day or we are productive right in this moment. Um, the problem is that a lot, of, a lot of companies see productivity as the most important measure of employee satisfaction or as a measure of their own growth. And what they fail to do is give employees a voice to say, I am burning out. And so... I'll give another anecdote, and I don't know if I'm going to be allowed to keep this in or not, but um, when Jennifer started at her job, the supervisor said, uh, maybe, I don't know if it was in the interview or if it was in orientation, and the supervisor said, if you start to feel burnt out, I want you to let me know. And so a while ago, she said, I'm starting to feel a little burnt out, and nothing really changed. And so I think that the other issue is, on the individual level, you have a certain amount of work that you can personally handle where you feel sane and safe and healthy. And then then outside of that, you know, there are people above your supervisor and above that supervisor and above that supervisor, and they don't care about the individual. They look at the, the whole company. They look at profit. They look at productivity. And so when one person says they're burnt out, more than likely they're going to say, we'll just find someone else if they burn out. Because yeah. a lot of companies are so big, they don't care. Now, we bring that back into our industry in ABA. There are some ABA companies that are gigantic, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything. They may not have that, you know, in mind at all. And we but don't like know you, what their reinforcement, you know, schedules are with their employees or anything like that. Right, 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 right. And there are many reinforcers in any job, which is, you know, some, t some people keep a job for any number of reasons, reinforcers or not. But in general, if you want your employees to stay focused and I'm not going to say not burn out because you really 
like burnout and reinforcement are not in my opinion are not really in the same they're not opposites you know it's not yeah. you're being re, you're, you're earning reinforcers or you're burning out i don't think they're mutually exclusive but, but the point is that um in all fields you have um a certain expectation for an employee and sometimes the expectations are much higher than they should be to prevent people from the experience of burnout and i think what would be great is in the future of human existence that employers start to get the picture and say we're pushing people too hard and our companies are going to be just fine there is a lot of work in certain areas and we need to do it but if it doesn't get done sometimes we just have to say okay we're humans we'll get there people are going to be mad okay you know Av yeah avoid avoid burning out your employees don't avoid upsetting people or your consumers or your clients or the people who purchase your products. I guess that's the same as consumers. Let me say that again. That was a prolific statement. Let's, let's not, let's avoid burning out our employees and not avoid upsetting our consumers. That would be really helpful. That would be very progressive. And that would probably assist in the general mental health of working people in society in our country in the world yeah i mean i definitely i agree with that statement i also think we have to be really aware of what our own expectations are and what are what we need from our own selves and what we need from our own lives and we're not always able to do that in every field i don't know what it's like to work and live in new york city like no clue went there twice first time was fun second time i was like it's cold and i don't want to go here but the point of all of that the more serious on the more serious note i think we have to be aware of like what we want for ourselves and we also have to have the confidence to make that happen um we don't always have that opportunity you know sometimes you work in an area in aba or in any other field where there are a limited number of jobs i grew up in a rural area there were a limited number of jobs you know we fortunately my hometown is close to a big city so if people couldn't find a job in our hometown you could go to the city but you know there are places many places where that's not always a choice or you can be doing aba in a really rural area and you only have one employer there's you know where my husband's from I don't want to live I don't want to move there because there's not a lot of ABA agencies so I'm not going to move to a place where I can only you know if I get in trouble at one job I don't have a second option um, so with all of that in mind and being aware of like the privilege of having the choice and the privilege of being able to sit down and think about what you want not everybody has that choice, but we have to be aware of what we want. And that was the only way that I personally was able to ever cope with my burnout was making the decision of like, okay, well, I'm in a position where I know I have a support group at home, like my husband and my family who are going to support me no matter what my choices are. And this life that I'm living is chaotic and it's stressful and it's hard and it's not what I want. I'm not happy. I'm not going to be happy. And that's not because I didn't try and that's not because others didn't try. That just was the facts. So I think recognizing that changes need to be made is also some of the best things that you can do to get out of your burnout. And I also think we can think of that as failure sometimes because 
making a change that you have to make for yourself. And if that's taking a step back or changing your career in a or whatever can feel like failure. And I personally don't want to fail ever. Like I hate failing, but I do think we have to accept that that's not failure. That's adjusting. And we make modifications for our clients every single day. Okay. You can't tie your shoes and you have a genetic disorder that says chances are you're probably never going to tie your shoes. That's fine. We're going to teach you how to put on Velcro shoes or slip on shoes. That's what we're going to learn today. So if we can do that for our clients, I think we have to be willing to do that for ourselves and willing to, as a employers or supervisors or business owners create environments where our employees or our RBTs or supervisees can make those modifications for themselves. That's my chat. All right, Elizabeth, I talked a lot about my burnout in the field of ABA. So tell me a little bit about yours. I can do that. Um, my burnout began in grad school. It was it began in grad school and then it really just intensified um, over time, kind of like a slow burning volcano, if you think about it. Um, in grad school, I think you have to, in order to understand like how burned out I was and how burned out I got, you kind of have to understand other things that were going on in my life at the time. So I left my, I didn't leave him, but my fiance was living in a different area. And so I moved home um, to go to live with my family while I was on grad school, while I went through grad school because my grandmother was going through some stuff and I wanted to be with my family. And so I did that. And then I was in grad school. Um, I had went from, you know, having a full-time job to having a job that was full-time and was an internship, but was very much, you were paid part-time wages um, at that time. And so, you know, I was doing all of that. I was going through grad school no one in my family had ever gone to grad school, um, no one that I know. So I was the first person in my family and that's a lot of pressure. And I was trying to do all of that. Um, and that was really challenging. Plus the work of grad school was hard for me. I have something called visual perception disorder, um, which was changed to visual processing disorder. And that basically means that like my eyes and my brain don't communicate the way that they're supposed to. So I thought it would be really fun if I went into a field that heavily relies on visual analysis so that I can just make sure that I'm constantly stressed out at all times. And so I had to kind of train my brain on how to, on how to adapt to looking and visually analyzing and then taking in that information and turning it into something else. So that was a really, that is, that was hard for me. And that is still something I struggle with. Um, it takes me longer than it probably should to do, to do, to analyze and to take and to write reports and things like that. But that's because of my VPD. So I just make it, I just make time to do that. Um, so grad school was hard. Grad school was really rough. And I, we have this saying in my family where you can do anything for three months. So I think where I set myself up for failure was, I was like, I can do anything for three months. I can do anything for three months. That is like, that's literally, that's my mom's like go-to. And that's what she taught me is like, you can do anything for three months. So three months I would go through a semester and that semester would end. And I would go through a semester and that semester would end. And I finally got all, I finally got, and I accrued all my hours. And I graduated in December 2017, and I was like, okay, this is it. 
I am good. Um, I took a deep breath. I remember I was sitting on my bed and I was texting my husband who was my fiance at the time. And I was like, I don't have anything else to do. And he was like, well, don't you have to study now? And I was like, shoot, I do have to study now. So then I started studying for the exam. And that was when my burnout went from, okay, I'm burned out because I'm in grad school and because I have some external stressors. It was like low level burnout. And we went from low level burnout to high level burnout. And I just never left high level, high level burnout. Um, Tyler, I know it's really important to you and it's like a really big deal to you that you pass the exam on the first try. And I know that that's a really big deal in our field. Like I've had multiple conversations when I was going through, um, when I was, I say going through, whenever I was studying for certification where people were like, oh, I'm gonna take the exam one time and I'm going to have to do this and I'm gonna take the exam and I only want to take it one time because I know my employer is waiting on me to become a BCBA so that we can start this new branch of the company or we can take on more clients and all this other stuff. And, you know, I had those pressures, too, um, just because of the nature of the job and because of the nature of, well, you need to be able to pass it on the first try. Well, I didn't pass it on the first try. I passed it on the third try, which was really annoying because... I was 11 points off the first time and two points off the second and I was at my maximum level of stress and it got to a point where I was waking up, I would put my textbooks in a, my backpack to take to work the next day to study on my lunch break and I would wake up at four in the morning and have taken my textbooks out and have like, and doing all this stuff in my sleep so it was really stressful. And then I finally passed the exam and I thought, okay. I've passed the exam and now I'm going to be like the behavior analyst that I've always wanted to be. And I went into it and I was extremely gung ho because I was like, look, I have always, I've waited a year. I've watched at this point, I watched all my friends become certified, become certified, you know, people at work become certified. Everyone was certified. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to be really gung ho about being a BCBA. And I was, but what was hard for me was it kept being point out, pointed out that there was so many, so much more that I needed to learn. And I knew that there was gonna be so much more that I needed to learn. I've never been, that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to be a BCBA was because you, you can continue to learn. Like you never stop learning, you get CEUs. You, I'm obsessed with the scientific method. I think it's fascinating. Like I get to do that every day, that is really cool. But it was really discouraging for me to hear how much I needed to learn and it was really hard to accept guidance or be expected to have this same clinical judgment as other people because just because you have different clinical judgment doesn't mean that you're wrong and so for me that was really it was really burning out to not feel like I was in charge of my own clients to not feel like I had the ability to it was hard to not feel, it was hard to feel like I didn't have the ability to make my own decisions about my own clients because I was quote unquote so new. Well, I was never not going to be new in comparison to everyone else. Right. Okay, and that, that was makes really sense. hard. Yeah, like I was never not going I was never going to not be new to other people. And so that on a repeated everyday basis, um, 
was really discouraging for me. And so I was already, I was emotionally exhausted from just grad school and from all of that. And then from being profoundly disappointed in what the job I thought I was getting was going to be versus what the job actually was. That was very discouraging for me. Um, and that never really stopped. Like I never stopped experiencing that. And you know, it's hard because you look, you feel a sense of failure whenever you can't do the job you're paid to do. And whenever you are, you're burned out, there is a sense of failure. Because for me, it was very much of, I'm not, obviously I'm stupid, but clearly I'm dumb and I don't know what I'm doing and I should not have become a behavior analyst. I should not have done this because it felt like, and I can't say that it was, but it felt like everything I did in my first years of BCBA was wrong. And that was really hard and that just led to more and more and more burnout. And all of that is to say that for me, because I had made the transition from supervisee to BCBA to supervising BCBA, um, at all of that at the same location, I realized that I the best way for me to move forward and to move out of my burnout was to change the course of my career and follow my passion. And for me, following my passion meant that I was going to do, that I was gonna work in rural areas and the company where I was at didn't work in rural areas. So for me, it was the most logical transition and the most helpful transition to transition from working in a saturated area to working in more rural areas where I'm from and being able to make positive impacts and, and do ABA in those areas. That is honestly for me what was the most helpful and what changed, what made me want to be a behavior analyst again because I didn't want to be a behavior analyst but getting to work in my hometown and getting to see progress with not necessarily people that I know but people that are from where I'm from made the biggest difference for me. For all the listeners out there that have experienced burnout and you are thinking about making that move to a different company or a different career just make sure you you look out for yourself because when it comes to burnout, if you're burnt out, you can't give any job the best of yourself. Um, and especially in ABA, like we're here for our clients to help them improve socially. And, you know, we have to be at the tip top of our game and burnout will definitely literally uh, set you on fire. Oh, that, that's a good one. Okay, so Tyler, what are you listening to right now? What are you watching? What are you reading that is reinforcing you and helping you prevent some burnout? I'm actually not reading anything because of the BDS modules in Cooper. Um, so that that is causing <laughs> my burnout. But um, a few months ago, I bought a Nintendo Switch. So that is reducing my burnout a lot, um, especially Donkey Kong. I'm, that's my game. So... What about I like, you? I've, I've never played Nintendo Switch in my whole life. Um, okay, so I'm listening to a horror anthology podcast that's, it's called Old Gods of Appalachia, and it's based in the South, because and it's based in Appalachia, and it's like creepy and kind of witchy and kind of weird, and 
like horror but like horror light like no gore and I'm obsessed with it and so I've already listened to all of it and I'm listening to it again and then when I'm not doing that I have started playing Red Dead Redemption on PC um and I'm it's so good it is good and I was like I have it on Xbox so get you on Xbox and we can game together but you can't you yeah I mean I have I have an Xbox with my husband but you can't play Red Dead Redemption 2 in two player it's a single player game so we'll have to play something else and I'm not playing any shooter games besides this one because I don't like them no you can play Red Dead Online together can you yes someone lied to me because I was not informed well then fine we'll play that together but I'm very bad very bad it's very bad it's I can't I got Arthur stuck um, in a glitch where he currently and I have to get help with from someone to help me get him out of the glitch because right now Arthur is just turning in <laughs> the woods and he won't stop and I've tried everything and he won't move so <laughs> that's how I'm coping with my burnout right now <laughs> I love it I love it so much oh man Arthur's stuck it's so fast Jesse Zach do you want to say anything actually you know what I want to hear what Jesse is doing to keep from burning out. Like, what are you doing for self-care right now? Like, what is helping you survive the pandemic, working your high-powered, high-stress New York City job because you're fancy? The only thing that helps my stress is reading books, but I haven't had time to read a book since March. I think... Like the like the first week of March of this year last or last week. year, last month. Oh, but okay. I, I'm an avid I'm an avid book reader. Where like I'll read a new book every three days. That's my thing. So for me to not have read a book since last since last month, the first week of March is like I'm going insane. Could you you could do Could you listen to books? Like on I Oz? just don't have time. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have time because I have a 12 page paper due the same day as one final and then the next final is three days later. So it sounds like okay. grad school is burning you out too, Jesse. <laughs> All right, and Zach, what are you doing or listening to to survive? The A, the pandemic, B, keep the burnout away, C, just like being alive, how it's helping you out. I work to. Okay, guys, <laughs> it, you're keeping this in because here's what we were saying. You have to do something to take care of yourself. Do something fun. I do. I what, do okay. lots of things. Well, what is fun that you're doing? Piano. That's helping. I work. That is not. He's teaching himself the piano. I play the piano. Okay, good. I have a vegetable garden. And I enjoy work. So you have work. work and more work. And that's what you do to survive is just different kinds of work. I cook food. Lots of food. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are just super productive. Enough. He works to work. You I work to literally work. work. Everything I do is work. Thanks for listening. Join us next week on Acting Out. Mm-hmm.